Ryan Stanton here with ASAP Frontline, joined today by Dr. David Rare. He's a professor at the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University. He's uh, joining us today for a topic that specifically we're targeting for our advocacy efforts with the American College of Emergency Physicians with LAC coming up, and actually this will be released right, ar right around there, um, on how to talk to a legislator. And that seems pretty obvious. I mean, we're we're all to adulthood. We're, we're fully involved in our adulting efforts, but talking with legislators can be difficult, especially from the healthcare standpoint, because we are we are basically raised in a very different way than uh, many folks are in terms of our careers. We are geared towards science. We are geared towards evidence, and the extent of our interactions on how we talk to people is what you most often uh, associate with bedside manner. And what that, that has evolved over time, uh, but one thing we have to do as physicians and healthcare professionals to, to be involved in advocacy for our profession, uh, our patients, and access to care. And that takes a little bit of effort. I always talk about the fact that when I go to Frankfurt here in Kentucky, I never am so frustrated as when I go up there because I end up wanting to leave and bang my head against the wall because... You know, we're used to one plus one equals two, but many times with legislators, it's one plus two equals zebra, and or or um, one plus one equals purple, and so it can be very frustrating. And so we wanted to talk about how to engage and talk with legislators, not just necessarily on the national level, but also local level as well. And uh, David is a fantastic resource for this. He's before he became professor um, at the law school, he spent about 25 years or over 25 years advocating before U.S. Congress, uh, served as the president and CEO of the National Association of Broadcasters. Uh, before joining the NAB, he was the president of the National Beer Wholesalers Association. Now, that sounds like a dream job that most, uh, most guys would love to have. Uh, his academic research area focuses on that association leadership and communication with the U.S. Congress. He's also the author of the Congressional Communication Report, uh, research on how Congress receives information from lobbyists and how lobbyists attempt to influence the Congress. He holds a doctorate in economics from George Mason University and has been named the Washington Life Magazine's Power 100 list. Is annually listed on a top association lobbyist by one of Congress's must-read publications, The Hill. We often see that. We will also have... Uh, ads and, and things in there while we are there for leadership and advocacy. We do every year. So he's regularly on TV and radio talking about these very topics. And so I, I mentioned recording at LAC and then thought, nope, we got to get this beforehand. So everybody has the information and ready to roll when they're in Washington, D.C. for LAC or wherever you may be engaging. So Dr. Rare, thanks for joining us here on ASAP Frontline. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be uh, be on the podcast. So with our topic today, it's a very broad topic. There's, there's a lot of approaches. There's a little bit of nuance when you're talking about the setting, whether it's um, local, whether it's state, whether it's national, um, whether it's right, whether it's left, whether it's down the middle, uh, whatever it may be. There's some difficult thing. I mean, there's some nuances um, to communicating with elected officials. How in general, what what do people need to know and what approach do they need to have when they're going to be talking to an elected official? Right. That's a great question. Uh, I, I have a general viewpoint, which I think you would share and many of your members would share. There's 
at a 30,000 foot level, there's basically three ways you can go to try to communicate with Congress, state elected officials, your mayors, whoever you need to interact with who work in government. One is to kind of have a systematic approach to building a relationship, which I think is the preference. We'll talk more about that. Secondly, many people, particularly who are involved in healthcare, who are involved in business, who are extremely busy academics, who are extremely busy kind of take a uh, one-off approach. I'll go talk to the legislator when I need to, something important's coming up, I got to inform them, uh, and that's a mistake, I'll explain why in just a moment. And the third approach is um, really going, touching them uh, very, um, uh, a kind of a soft touch, a casual touch, maybe you go to church together, you go to synagogue together, maybe you're in a Kiwanis club or Rotary club, but that's a good basis to build what would be a systematic relationship with the elected official. Why the kind of one-off is bad is because you're probably too late. By the time a big issue is coming up and there's going to be a vote or a hearing, the legislator probably has already made their mind up on what they're going to do. So you want to get in early and you want to kind of build your personal relationship with them because that's what's the most meaningful to the legislator and that's where you can have the most influence. And so just like voting, you want to do it early and often, correct? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I'm from Chicago originally, so we have a very different viewpoint on that. And <laughs> there's a lot we can say about that, but for the sake of ending up on somebody's list, I will stay away from it. Now, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned they've already made their decision. And, you know, when we're up there, we've, they, they treat you like you're special. You feel special. You know, they look you in the eye. Um, what's funny is I sat down with a legislator and he told me exactly what he does to stall and then to say, to, and then to escape without ever getting too deep. And then I started thinking about it and I said, you just did that to me. Um, you just, you just did the bait and switch and now you got to go leaving, leave me with an aide to take the information and act like something's going to happen. But they do this every single day that they're in Washington and many days that they're in their localities as well. They're doing meetings just like ours with people they treat uh, the same way and hear the things on both sides. How much communication and how much, how much stuff is going into these politicians, especially on the federal level, every single day or, or on a regular basis? Yeah, we have more information clutter than ever before in Washington. We have more people communicating with Washington. We have more people running ads. We have more people sending emails. We have more, we just have more. I refer to it as kind of a, a, a information cluster. And the important thing, and your organization does it well, I know your government relations people in Washington, uh, it, it, how do you differentiate yourself so you're remembered? I have a kind of a view of lobbying advocacy, I call it advocacy, is like selling a car to someone, right? If, you wanna, if you're a Ford dealer and you want to sell Ford trucks, what do you have to do to get people to buy? Same way with your legislative issues, your public policy issues as emergency physicians, you need to think about how do I get that person to say yes? And that's the pro process just like it is selling cars, you know, buying a house. Uh, you just can't walk into their office and they don't know you and go, I need you to vote yes on H.R. 1. 
It's a series of things that you have to do to build the relationship, to earn their confidence, to find out what they're really thinking, to put it in a way that they understand it so it makes it easy for them to do what you want them to do. One thing you mentioned um, in some materials we got here is is communicating with the elected official and the must-dos and things like that. And you on the broadcasting side, and you know full well being uh, from the history in the National Broadcasters Association. Um, and one thing we'll talk about when we're at LAC is how do you communicate with them? How do you talk with them? And, you know, we always hear about stories and, you know, from the broadcasting side, it's the hook. What is it that you it grabs their attention that pulls them into your story and gets them invested in your cause and in your needs? What are the things you must do as you're sitting there talking uh, in those brief moments that you have with a legislator, and actually let's do it both sides, if you're with the legislator versus with their staff. Right. So let's step back just a little bit and what you have to do before you go in the office. One, you have to find something out about them. I'm sure you do this with your patients or family members. You need to find out what they care about. And you can, you can Google their name and you'll find out about their background, their family status, maybe their religion, what committees they serve on, what their interests are. But you kind of want to get an idea of what, do, what are they focused on, right? And if they're focused on health, they're on the Energy and Commerce Committee, then that gives you kind of a one-up because you're focused on health too. Secondly, you want to find out a little bit about them. You might have gone to undergraduate with them. They might be. We have a few medical doctors in Congress. You might know them be, through the medical profession. Uh, you might have people back home who are elected officials or who uh, are on uh, the, the uh, Rotary Club with them. So you want to, number one, you want to research them a little bit, not hours, but a little bit to kind of get a familiarity with who they are where their district is, if they're a senator, their state, which of course is much easier. You know, maybe Lexington is an important city that makes you a little bit more important to them because you represent a lot of people. So one, do a little research, you know, uh, find out a little bit about them. You'll be amazed at how interconnected you are with most members of Congress. Number two, when you go into the office, remember they're just like the rest of America. Often Congress gives the, I don't want to say an illusion, but it's a powerful institution. There are very smart people there, but they like to intimidate people so they don't ask them for things, right? Because if I'm a member, I'd like to meet with people, talk about back home, but I don't really want you to say, are you voting with me on H.R. 7? Are you going to co-sponsor this bill, you know, Senate resolution number six? Because it makes my life easier. So you can't be intimidated. I mean, the people who are going to be listening to this are probably, on average, far more ev educated, uh, far more uh, kind of, uh, I don't say intellectual. I mean, doctors and emergency physicians are really agile, smart people and, and do things that are saves people's lives every day. So just bring that with you and don't be intimidated if you go into an office and you see pictures on the wall and expensive furniture and beautiful carpeting because you all pay for that as taxpayers. Um, so number two, don't be intimidated. Number three, prepare for what you're going to ask them. A lot of people I know in the broadcasting business, when I was in the beer business, the beer wholesalers, they would go in and if they didn't practice what the ask was, they'd get really nervous. And sometimes they would unfortunately, uh, either not ask or make the wrong ask or, you know, garble it up a little bit and not be clear. 
you should, everyone should practice in a mirror. Like you're selling something, what's the close going to be? The close is we need your support on this bill. And practice it a few times because when you're in the moment and you're looking at a United States senator or United States congresswoman and you're thinking to yourself, my God, this person's like really smart and this is a beautiful office and this is an unbelievable place and there's so much history here, you get a little intimidated and you might be off your game. Now, oh, and then let me, add, let, me, let me just yeah, add number no three, as soon as you make the ask, the next one who speaks loses. So a lot of times when people are nervous, they'll say, can you co-sponsor HR 47? Have the awkward silence. Don't start up and go, well, okay, well, just be silent and let the member or the staffer for the member speak. And to this latter part about Hill staffers and members, one important thing to remember is that members of Congress are on several committees, senators are on several committees. Uh, uh, in my research, um, they get you know hundreds of people asking them for things. So often when you meet with staff people, they are as or more important than meeting with the member themselves. And that's because they write the memo, they send the email, they kind of di help direct where the member of Congress makes their decision. So a lot of times people come from around the country, they do fly-in, they go to Capitol Hill, they meet with the staffer and they go, oh my God, I'm not, I, I'm meeting with nobody. Well, actually, they're somebody and they're really important. And I might add that currently there are 123 former staffers who are members of Congress. So if you're in this for the long term, you will often run across people who you meet who then years later end up being in the Congress and they probably will remember you. So it's a, it's a big benefit. Sorry, Dr. Stanton, back to you. No, no, that's no problem. You missed, mentioned some of the must-dos in that awkward silence, but we've all had that situation, and we all will. I mean, interestingly, the polls we do at the American College of Emergency Physicians is probably one of the most balanced organizations uh, ever. I mean, every single year I've seen it, it's been uh, almost exactly 50-50 on each side of the aisle, um, which a little bit surprised me, but it's actually pretty good. But um, I still remember one of my first times um, here talking with our former representative and uh, we walked in there it was one of my first LAC um, it actually was my first LAC and we're talking with his staffer and and they say well and I thought this was the least political thing I'd heard from anybody up there is they said well basically if there's anything that appears to benefit doctors we will not support it I thought well okay um, we shifted our allegiance on that and uh, that person then won the next election but not every room you're going to go to, not every person you speak with is going to be marching in step with you. I mean, a good politician is going to make you feel like they may be, even if they're not. Uh, but how do we, how do we talk to somebody who may be um, diametrically opposed with how we feel, or or they, or we we're particularly uh, opposed to how they are approaching things? What, how do we approach that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, language and words that you use are more important than ever before. And I'll give you two quick examples. One, if you're going into, in, if you're coming into Washington, probably true on the state level as well, because it's been become tragically a little bit more partisan. If you go into a Republican office, you can't refer to Obamacare as the Affordable Care Act. As soon as they say, you say Affordable Care Act, they go, hmm, probably the enemy. 
you're not the enemy. But the way they hear it is, oh, they were for Obamacare and everything else. Likewise, if you go into a Democratic office and you say, I'm here to talk about Obamacare, you know, the flags and whistles go off and they go, ooh, they're probably Republicans, you know, and they don't like Obamacare. So you need to be really careful the words that you choose, generic words about health care, particular issues that you care about. Don't get caught into any kind of partisan uh, partisan language. You might have some staffers. I would like I was like this when I was a lot younger, you know, filled with like a lot of ideological sense about America where I try to bait people. Well, what do you think about the last election? Do you like the president? Do you not like the president? And your response is, we're really not here to talk about the last election or the president. We're here to talk about our issues. So you take hold of the conversations, because depending on if you say, hey, Trump, love Trump, whatever you say, that's going to kind of mirror how they view you and what they then might say in terms of your issues. Uh, number three, um, your organization will give you some talking points and some fly, uh, flying information, or when you go to you know, the state capitals, there'll be some kind of bullet points. Be sure you have a copy for the staffer or the legislator. They're meeting so many people. They're talking to so many people. Mm -hmm. They're likely to forget your meeting 30 or 40 minutes after you meet with them. So I'm a big enthusiast, enthusiast of having a leave behind that's simple and that has your contact information on it if they have more questions because you want to nurture this relationship. Ideally, if you come to Washington and you meet the member or the staffer, you want the staffer then to email you or call you and go, you know, doctor, I have a question about this. We looked at this bill because that really means you're going to have influence with that office. That's exactly right. And that's what we talk about locally is becoming a resource for that office. Um, people that they call, people that they turn to um, when they have questions about certain things. We have a state senator that works very closely with me and, you know, he'll call and if they need uh, somebody to go up there and to testify up in Frankfurt, he'll call me for that or he'll call and see how we feel about it. But then it goes both ways, you know, exactly the way we started with you don't want to be on the back end trying to fight something that's already happened. You want to you want to be the one guiding the discussion to begin with. And that's one of the challenges that medicine has had is we tend to be reactionary, just like our healthcare system. We tend to react um to diseases, uh, for a state of a better uh, association, uh, we react to them instead of preventing, um, preventing them and guiding. That's right. You always, you know, and you guys aren't necessarily in the business of marketing health, but we're now in a culture where you constantly have to be proactive in getting messages out because otherwise something bad happens somewhere in the world and all of a sudden you know, it, it basically besmirches the entire organization, the healthcare industry, something which everyone's shaking their head going, I can't believe that ever occurred, but you can't explain things away. So you have to be proactive. You have to remind people. You just have to keep moving forward and kind of keep building relationships. Relationships are always key in every aspect of our lives. And in medicine, one of our big guiding ideals is the research the evidence that is there to prove or disprove the way we work and do things and approach the patient. And, you know, research and, and evidence is not um, not just medicine. I mean, you've done this, you know, for 12-plus uh, years of getting in and doing research on this interaction between the lobbyists, nonprofits, uh, associations, and Congress, and that sort of thing. What is some of your data? We're, we're physicians. We love data. What are some of your conclusions that we can draw about this? 
So I started doing this research called the Congressional Communications Report uh, uh, years ago after I was a lobbyist. I came out and people would tell you things like if you stand at this corner when the member of Congress walks by and you raise your right hand, you know, just crazy stuff about how to influence people. And I am a Ph.D. in economics and I love research and statistics. So I did the first, you know kind of research of what do people on Capitol Hill care about? And we just released our latest edition. We're now in the third edition. It hasn't changed a lot, but here's what they care about. I asked the question of what's the most important thing to get access and to have influence? Number one issue, providing credible, reliable information. 43% of the people said that was their top concern as Hill staff and members. That is something that you guys have nailed. You have research, you have the data, then you have to be able to explain it to people in a way they can understand it. Uh, secondly, existing relationships among the members and the staff and the individuals, which again goes to our earlier point of you want to build a relationship. Uh, number three, um, previously worked for the legislature. And maybe some of the, depending on how political some of your members are, they might have worked in a campaign, they might have put a sign in their yard, they might have had a coffee, they might have sent a letter to the editor. All that stuff helps with the incumbent representative to build a relationship because he or she is looking at you going, well, what have you done for me? And you're looking at them going, well, what are you doing for me? Right? So you want to make it a win-win situation. Um, things that uh, don't matter as much which I was always surprised. And so I came to Washington and you hear all these, well, these are powerful organizations. They're just, people don't mess with them. They're just really powerful. And in the research, and this has been consistently true, the reputation of a powerful lobby only ranks at 5% with congressional staff. So I spent a lot of money trying to make the beer wholesalers appear powerful and the broadcasters appear powerful. And many years before that, the National Federation of Independent Business, Small Business People, I worked for them, them powerful. But that was kind of a waste of resources. You know, I should have spent more time on research, on building relationships, uh, and just connecting with legislators and with their staff people. So I hope that helps. But the inf then, then kind of the second point is, well, how do we then convey the information? And the one uh, hesitancy that I offer you is, don't overwhelm people. You know, you give them more than two or three pieces of information, it gets lost on them because as soon as you leave, they're sending out dozens of emails, they're answering phone calls, they have constituents on the phone who are screaming at them because they're not supporting them on a particular point of view. So you want to provide enough information in a way that's, that's meaningful and important, but not so much that it becomes part of this kind of information clutter or overload. That is one of the things that they focus on in the education before our leadership and advocacy conferences. Here's our three big points, and we're going to stick with those. Don't be going off on the rails, off the rails with your own, you know, tangents at this point and trying to get a street light put up at this corner or get the potholes fixed or whatever it may be. And that's that is very important to stay focused because of that volume and information overload that they're going to be experiencing. Let me just add that you may go into offices, particularly with people who don't agree with you, and they'll spend, you get maybe between seven and 15 minutes with a member of Congress and, or with a congressional staff person. So they'll try to spend the first seven minutes asking you about your hometown. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. how's Lexington? Have they built a new church there? Because they're just burning time. Right. 
because they right. don't want to get to the issue. So you need to say, you know, in a nice way, Lexington's great, but we're really here to talk about and kind of bring them the bring, refocus the meeting. I've seen that happen a lot on both sides of the aisle, uh, and you don't want to just kind of just go along and be pleasant and be nice, and then your time's used up, and they go, gosh, I really wish we had more time to talk about the issues and get into detail, but unfortunately, we don't, and what's really occurred there, everyone's felt a little better about their hometown, but you haven't moved your public policy issues forward, so be careful with that. And who you interact with can be incredibly variable. I still remember um, a staff member with... uh, with Senator Mitch McConnell's office, and I think, I think her name was Jennifer, and she was probably the most knowledged person when it comes to healthcare. I mean, we could immediately, every time we went in there and met with her, we could immediately just dive deep into the weeds and just talk about the meat of the situation. But that's not always the case. There's huge variability depending on if you're talking to somebody with healthcare, the member themselves, or somebody that you're getting, you just happen to get some staffer that's there, and they may not have as much in-depth knowledge about your situation. And one of the things we hear about is in medicine is talking about prudent layperson, which is that rule that says you pick whether you get to decide whether you have an emergency or not. And if you do, you get to go to the emergency room and it should be covered. And that's been a huge push for us lately. But we have a lot of congressional members and staff that have no idea what that is, even though it's something on the books in Washington, D.C., but there's a lot of books up there. How do we? How do you gauge the depth of knowledge? Because you don't want to go in there on somebody who's who's got a lot of knowledge and sit there talking about the basics, but you also don't want to get too deep on somebody and completely watch their eyes glaze over because they have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Right. Great question. One, leverage your Washington staff. Sometimes they may know these people or they can research these people. There's lots of directories about who has what issues and things. And it might give you the insight that if you're meeting with David Rare, who's the agricultural export in the office, probably odds are he's not going to know a lot about healthcare. But if they're the healthcare expert or they work for a member who sits on the healthcare subcommittee in the Ways and Means Committee, you know, then they're probably going to know more. So one, research and preparation is always important. That's always kind of done well for me. Secondly, you can ask a question or two when you're in there that's respectful, you know, and I don't ever go, well, are you knowledgeable on healthcare or are you not knowledgeable on healthcare? But you might say, oh, you, I, you know, hey, David, we met. Uh, how long have you worked up here? Uh, six years. Uh, what have you mostly spent your time on? Agriculture. You, so you're getting clued in on, I have to take the level a little lower then a little bit more in the weeds, mm-hmm. and then because I think you just you, it's like uh, again I may mean, have to say the metaphor of selling and marketing things to people, but you want to find out what the customer thinks, and then you can respond to the customer once you have some idea of their depth of knowledge. Let's get into more of some of more of those tips and um, communicating. How do we? You, you've already talked about our staff in Washington with ASAP, which they do a fantastic job in getting us ready for that. They just basically send us up there and then um, let us go. And they've done a lot of preparation work beforehand. Um, how can we le- you know, leverage our conversation to complement that work of those folks that are there, um, are there all year round and, and advocating for our efforts as well? Right. Uh, number one, after you have the meetings, immediately report back what the results were. 
because often what happens is that because you're from Kentucky, Senator Mitch McConnell or his staff might be a little bit more sharing with you about what he's thinking. Because even the lobbyists here, sometimes you're kind of viewed as a lobbyist outsider, hired gun, whatever. But they might tell you a sentence or two more about like, you know, well, we're thinking about this. Make sure you tell the Washington people because you're a team, you're working together, and then they have that information to advance your public policy agenda. Or they might say to you, well, he did say that, but he's also thinking about this. So when you're back in Kentucky, we need to have four or five people connect with his local office you know, to kind of move the strategy forward. So number one, make sure you tell them. A lot of times people come in for fly-ins, they're well-intentioned, but then they have to catch their planes, they're dealing with their family, a lot of things going on, and there's information that gets lost, which is very valuable. Number two, take your business card. Give it to this, give it to this, this, the committee or the, uh, the staffer. Get their business card. It's one of the most important things you can have because it'll have their email address and it'll have their phone number. When you get back to your offices, send them an email saying, it was so nice to meet you, David. Thank you so much. We'll stay in touch from time to time. I'll either reach out to you by phone or by, um, or by email to update you on our issues, right? Because you want to, again, develop that relationship. I've known plenty of interest group advocates who've made good relationships with staffers and then the staffer becomes kind of your scout you know um, teaching I still have students who like will email me and go Dr. Rare I was in a meeting and they mentioned this and I knew it's really important to you I wanted you to know it and of course I email email back and say I gave you an A for the class right because you deserve it but you know you have you have like little scouts out there picking up information sending it to you and then again you need to forward it to the people who work in Washington for you because they're doing the day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, number three, uh, after you get their business card, um, make sure that you get some sense of what they're going to do. Don't be afraid to ask for the order. 90% of the meetings I've been in as a staffer, people didn't ask me things. They would present the information. They would mention the issues. Uh, we'd exchange cards, and then they'd get up and go. You want to have somebody who says, kind of leans in and says, David, do you think your boss could support something like this? Or do you think you could co-sponsor this bill? Because you want to get, even if they go no and they start screaming at you, you want to get some sense of where they are in the moment because then you can feed that mm -hmm, back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, make sure you ask at the end um, and make sure you get the card and – then do the follow-up. I know in the beer wholesalers case, wonderful people, very busy, very community-oriented people, but it was always really hard for them to, we had forms that they would fill out and they would, it would be hard. The form would be in the luggage and then it would get lost somewhere. So I actually put a bounty on forms. You know, I'm an economist, people respond to incentives. So I said, you know, uh, you turn your form in, I pick one, I send you several hundred dollars. And it was like, ooh, we could get you know, $200 in cash or whatever. Uh, but it really increased the amount of forms that came back. Because it was, you know, I made it a little bit more, per they knew it was important, but there's just so many other things that are involved in people's lives. And they just get kind of, you know, uh, you get off the plane, somebody calls you and goes, come down here right now. We have this case, which you've got to absolutely help to save a person's life. You're not thinking about, oh, we've got to turn the form in. So do that as well. And well, then, the nice thing uh, with us. Go ahead. Yeah, the nice thing with us is that uh, our 
our folks there in Washington made it very easy with an app on the phone that not only gives your schedule, but also then allows you to click on your schedule with the individual congressman or woman and any feedback that you have. So they collect it right there. And so it's very nice that you can go ahead and, and put it put it in and send it back day of, actually while you're walking to the next office, because everybody knows how big Washington is. You typically have a mile walk before your next meeting and then another 15-minute hold while you get your uh, various undercarriage checked out going into the, the next office building. So, you know, they make that that very easy. Um, let's continue. I mean, you, you've got some you're, – you're giving us some great points here. We're getting close to the end of the podcast, so let's, let's continue on to talk about building these strong, enduring relationships with these officials uh, and elected officials. So let me just give you some other kind of levels of commitment depending on what your – time allow uh your time allows you to do uh when, when you you fly in you meet with the members or if you don't fly in doesn't matter one call the district office and say hey we're with this association our people were in town they said they had a really good meeting with this member of congress no one ever does that and you immediately get remembered because most people don't get thanked and if you're i have found in my life if you're pleasant and nice and thankful to people, it separates you from a lot of other people who aren't pleasant and nice. Because, again, this partisanship, you know, every other in my research, uh, staff ranked constituents at less than 50 percent. And you think to yourself, well, David, why would they do that? Because every other constituent's now calling them, shouting at them, yelling at them, saying you're this or you're that or you're, you know, whatever, whatever your issue is. And they feel like they can get away with it because they work for them. Treat people nicely. It'll help ingratiate you with them. Um, drop by the member's district office. So Senator McConnell has a district staff in cities all over Kentucky. The member of Congress has a district staff, usually in a, one of the larger towns. If you have a lunch, if you have a break, drive over there. Just go in and say, you know, hey, I'm David Rare. I work for the emergency physicians. I'm at the Lexington Hospital. Uh, I just want to come by, get their cards, you know, to introduce yourself. And they're going to go, wow, this person was really nice and introduced themselves. Get their cards. You know, so you could do that. Maybe takes 15, 20 minutes of your time. Uh, you can write a little note to the member, to the staffer saying, really glad to meet you. Thank you for your time. I know you're really busy. That immediately puts you in the good person pile as the this person's going to be a pain in my rear end and I don't really want to deal with them pile. Um, you can publicly thank the member, right? You write a little note or you put it in the hospital newsletter. We were in Washington. We met these members. They were really nice to meet with us and then clip it and mail it to the person whose card you have. Just say, wanted to be sure you saw this. Because again, they're thinking, what are these people doing for me? Well, they're saying good stuff about me which gives it more authenticity than me saying good stuff about myself. Um, maybe the member, they're doing less of these because it's so partisan, but maybe they're having a telephone town hall meeting, or maybe they're having a, a business person's meeting downtown at the Ramada Inn or at the Holiday Inn or whatever. If you have some time, go to it. If for no other reason, shake the person's hand, say, Congressman Rare, we met you in Washington. You were so nice. So we met your staffer in Washington. We didn't get a chance to see you, but we're so glad that you're here. Uh, and it gives you another touch point because you have to, like the customer scenario, you have to touch people more than once for them to get the buy from you. Um, 
Maybe you're in the same political party as this person. Maybe you like them. Get involved in their election. You'd be surprised. Uh, I worked for a member of Congress from southwestern Minnesota, and there was a guy who made his own sign and put it up on his farm. And every time for the next six years we drove by that farm, the member looked at me and said, oh, Lowell, he, he made a sign and put it up there. It was really a big deal to this person because not many people did it, separated himself out. Um, maybe you could host a, you know, depending again on how involved you want to be, how important the member is. Maybe you want to have a little coffee or breakfast, which um, could be just the, you know, uh, say healthy donuts. Uh, and some coffee, maybe you could invite him into the hospital or at least into the emergency wing and take some pictures. Members love that because it's all positive publicity. They love that. And I don't think people utilize that enough. Plus, they'll remember, oh, you're, David's the one who did that. And then the next time you see them, we're like, ah, David, that was just great. Because you, you're thinking about what kind of benefits them what do they care about they care about being liked by people in an increasing partisan age um maybe you know the member of congress is related to you or maybe you really like them and they're up for re-election and they call you and they go uh would you like to take a leadership role in the campaign that's a great time to say yes i would now you need the time to do it you want to be sure that it all works out with your schedule you know, I, I'm not urging everyone, like, give up their entire life just to work to elect members of Congress. But they really remember that because they're thinking, who are, who are for me? And the more people in, in a particular profession who are for them, I think the better off that they have hearing your issues. May not be with you 100% of the time, but likely will be with you more times than not. So those are just a few examples of what you might want to do past the flying. And then, uh, all right, so we're going to get our, we got our summary here. So you got your, we're going to do a follow-up. Thanks. Um, we're going to, that's very important. I think following up a lot of times, I'm close enough with several of them, uh, you know, especially my local representative here that I'll actually text him afterwards and said, Hey, thanks. Great time, you know, visiting Washington, D.C., whatever. Establish more of that friendship. Visiting their district office, writing a note. I know that's difficult for some folks because uh, what is it? Some number of folks doesn't, don't even actually know how to address an envelope, but email. You know, just something that puts you back on the radar. The public thanks, going to their uh, some of their events, uh, separating yourself. I think that's very important, separating yourself um, not only by being a participant, but also by being somebody who's there uh, for good times and for bad, not just to be the one that, oh, there's Ryan again. He's going to complain about something. Hosting an event, which I think is awesome for a physician to do. Um, there's Healthcare is a huge topic, and they do want to have events. Uh, the hardest thing that you're going to have hosting an event is getting uh, enough doctors involved because, uh, as one of my co-lawyer friends uh, used to say, it's easier to squeeze water out of a rock than a dollar out of a doctor. So, you know, making sure that uh, you're, you're willing to part ways. That's right. But it doesn't even have to be a fund. I mean, it's great if it's a fundraiser. But even if you could have like a conversation, an off-the-record conversation on health care with some doctors who want to kind of educate the member, keep it short, under an hour or so, maybe have like chicken salad or something healthy. But it, the idea is, is that other people aren't doing this. And you want to be sure, and you start mm -hmm. off by saying, Congresswoman, 
you know, we know there are a lot of demands on healthcare. There's finite resources. We're trying to do the best we can. So we want to just have a little group to make sure you might have some questions that you want answered and it's totally off the record. And then just be sure it's totally off the record so someone who might be in the other party doesn't tape record it and then embarrass the member. That would be a horrible thing. But, you know, because then, it, again, what the, do they get out of it? They're like, I can learn something with a group of people I trust who will tell me the truth mm -hmm. and make me better. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting you, Dr. Stanton. Back well, to the they, list. Well, and I think getting, the, you know, getting them into the emergency department is big. The last... Uh couple that I've had have been, uh, I've actually, both hospitals I've worked for since I've been out of residency, I've had the a congressman come in uh, to the emergency department and chit-chat with us about cool stuff. And they love that type of thing. It's because, you know, we do have a lot of cool toys. We overlook them a lot. And then finally, finding that person that you can be an active participant with. And, you know, I've done that, um, you know, with our state senator here, who's a physician. I've been active uh, with him um, and others as well, and and being somebody who can go out there and speak for that person and kind of direction, and I completely agree with that. It's about building allies, about building building relationships, and I think that's what we can do as physicians to help advance the cause for ourselves, for our profession, but more importantly for our patients. And that's really what we're here for, and that's what one of the strengths of emergency medicine is the fact that we can advocate for our patients and access to care, and the only universal access to medicine that many of our people, our patients, have had for decades. Um, you know, we're open 24-7, 365, and we do not ask questions about your ability or intent uh, to pay. We don't ask about, um, you know, do you need to be there or whatever. We are there for every single person, and that gives us a great leg up when we go talk to our elected officials because we are more than any other group an advocate for our patients and an advocate uh, for them to have access to care. So uh, Dr. David Rare um, is going to be speaking with us, helping us all with how do we communicate with them, and I appreciate you coming in uh, today and chit-chatting with us about this. Do you have any closing remarks, and uh, how do folks get in touch with you if they need to get in touch with you or have further questions? Two quick things. Number one, invite the staff into the emergency rooms, too. Two, be sure you put them in the blues so they can get a picture. I mean, that mm -hmm. says a thousand things about a member or a staffer taking the tour just like they are a physician. They're not. You don't want them on the tables. But, you know, if they go, they'll remember that their entire life. And then people can get in touch with me uh, by uh, my email address is drare, R-E-H-R, -E at gmu edu. That's George Mason University edu, drare at gmu edu. Uh, don't, if you have any question whatsoever, I mean, you guys do, uh, there are a lot of people I interact with where I don't really think a lot of their profession for whatever reason. You guys do amazing things and you are incredibly helpful to people and that's what america should be more like helpful and save people and be committed to people you know helping them get back to wherever they were before you had a tragic accident or something so i would be more than anxious to hear from anybody in the profession uh if you have a question if you're nervous whatever just email me um you can call me my number at the law school is 703 nine nine three eight one five one but it's probably better to to email me because then i can kind of send you a response so and maybe uh, uh what i can do uh, i want to i know we need to close here is maybe send you uh 
Dr. Stanton, just a list of some of these ideas. And if you guys want to post it somewhere, that's more than okay with me. So people can reference it if they need to, because they're, they're busy doing a lot of things and saving a lot of lives. Yeah, and our, our folks uh, with ASAP are fantastic at getting that information out there and letting folks know this will be strategically placed and released in order to allow uh, for our folks to get the information as they walk up on Capitol Hill, Hill here later in May. And as for me, uh, you can contact me, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com. Make sure that you are uh, subscribe to the podcast, and that is coming in regularly because we're sending you at least once a week, and this may be the first year that we get 53 out of it, but um, a great opportunity to learn, hopefully bringing you new and helpful information. Also, liking our Facebook page um, for the uh, podcast, ASAP Frontline, and at Everyday Med on Twitter. And until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASAP Frontline.